Hi, I'm Jin Young from South Korea. I am visiting Yakima for my first time to see my partner holding berry hops. And now you are listening to Late Edition. Hello again, my name is Caleb Schwecki, and this is the fifth episode of the Late Edition coming at you from Hop Capital USA, that is Yakima, Washington. In this episode, Jeffrey Perkins and myself, we sit down with Eric Demeray. He is a hop farmer in one of the regions of the Yakima Valley called Moxie. So he kind of walks us through the different growing regions, what grows well in certain areas, what does better in others. Eric is also the brains behind hops like El Dorado and the Neo-Mexicanus family, starring Medusa and the upcoming one called Zappa. Now this was originally quite a lengthy conversation. Eric hung out with us for about, man, three hours. We talked about a lot of really good stuff, covered a lot of ground. Uh, that being said, I'm planning on chopping it up into two episodes. I don't know if it's quite three episodes, but they're going to be long ones. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. We talk about Neo-Mexicanus, the genetics behind it, root wrangling down in Arizona, New Mexico, finding some wild hops. So really cool stuff. We are also almost about a month exactly away from HomebrewCon. So homebrewers out there, if you want to come hang out with us, absolutely do that. It's going to be in Portland this year, right in our backyard. We teamed up with Imperial Yeast, Mecha Grade Estate Malt, Brewlosophy, and we're going to have a good time. So we're going to bring some really good beers. We'll bring some hops. We'll bring yeasts, grain and Marshall and the Brewlosophy crew. So they're gonna be doing a bunch of live broadcasts. We have some shenanigans planned. Should be fun. Really looking forward to it. Hope to see you there. Uh, my name is Eric Demaray, E-R-I-C-D-E-S-M-A-R-A-I-S. I am the uh, owner of CLS Farms. We are uh, a hop farmer in the Moxie Valley, which is a of Yakima, which is a, kind of a sub-growing district of the Yakima Valley. And I'm fourth generation grower, three daughters, and hopefully we make it five <laughs> with one of them, or well, three of them. Per per Perks is here as a backup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perks is here as a backup. <laughs> Jeff bringing in the color commentary. Yeah, we, that's uh, what it is, yeah. So fourth generation, your family was one of the very first. Yeah, or, or it like was in the, there was a there was a group of um, French Canadian families that came from Quebec area into Minnesota came here. Our family was in that kind of that tranche of growers who who came here in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So there was you know maybe over a 15 or 20 year period, maybe a dozen or two dozen of these families came here, and we were, our family was one of those families that came here. And how, and how prominent are uh, those families still here, right? I, I'd say like a majority of the, out of the 12 or whatever. Oh, I, I actually think it was probably more than 12. Oh. I mean, I pro there's probably 24, 25, 30 families that came, you know. And so, I, you know, I would bet 50% of the hop industry in Yakima, 60% of it can still trace its lineage back to that group of families one way or the other. 
So. And what I see is interesting too. Uh, if you look at you know Moxie, which is a very prolific hop growing region, a lot of the streets are named after. Mm-hmm. Those families, yep. right? So yeah. there is a Demeray Road, there is a uh, yep. Gamash Road, Road, Gamash Road, right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yep. which is very cool to see if you ever come visit Yakima. Yeah, if you drove around Moxie, Moxie for some reason I'm not I'm not exactly sure why, but Moxie ended up being the epicenter. They all moved to Moxie, I think, because because they were given the land away, you know, basically for some reason. And and then what happened is some of these these French families then they the they they branched out into Toppenish. Lower Yakima Valley, the Prosser area, and so, but for whatever reason, I'm not 100% sure why, but Yakima, or at least Moxie, tended to be the epicenter of that. Well, because that was part of the land given away by Alexander Graham Bell, in, yeah, mm-hmm. w- with like the whole irrigation experiment. Yep. In, yeah, in the there area. was there was a you know they were trying to incentivize uh, uh, people to move out, and and so I don't I don't know the specifics of the program, but I do I do know it was some there was some fairly generous you know, incentives to come out and, and it must have been, it had to have been fairly generous. Cause I look now, I look at like uprooting my family and like going to, you know, a, a 2000 miles away to somewhere where you've never even heard of, so you know, and, and just putting up, uh, you know, starting fresh. And so, so I think, uh, I think it was a little bit of, you know, I think these, some of these families had some adventurous kind of you know, we want to go make our lives better. Definitely, they had some of that coupled with some of these incentives from the government, and I think you put those things together. and And I do think some of that, I do think some of that lives on in these families today. You know, in the hop industry, is 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 that they, you know, that that spirit is kind of still there. Well, how important is that generational knowledge in the hop farming industry? You know, it's it's generational knowledge and generational infrastructure. I'd almost put that out there too. You know, there's there's a lot of different areas in the United States are sprouting up, growing hops. You know, and, and hops are a capital intensive uh, crop, and and the the biggest problem with hops is is the capital required and the to to put together the harvesting facilities. And drying facilities, and and you you basically we call it we used to call it the big boat anchor, you know, and and it's it's used for 35 days a year, and it's a multi-million dollar asset, and it just sits there the rest of the year, and so and so that's that's tough for new growing areas, and then just and then just the multi-generational knowledge as well. It is a very labor-intensive and a management-intensive crop, and so it requires a lot of you know, it requires a lot of inputs, and so learning that that cadence of inputs is can be challenging for for new entrants. When you say information that's passed down generation to generation, are you talking about variables such as the kiln, right? What temperature you're drying things at for amount of time per variety? You know, uh, anything from you know uh, nutrients in the soil, yeah, time of planting. I yeah, mean, is that is that like yeah. in terms of generation? Yeah, knowledge? there's a real, um, you know, just just the the uh, structure of putting a hop yard up and and how you how you lay a hop yard out you know what are the best techniques for growing a first year plant you know all the way through the it's hops are a day length sensitive plant so it's very important on the timing of when you train and that's a that's something you can select as a grower the timing wise and so those kind of and each variety has its own little unique uh, windows of it likes and so that whole kind of cadence of of time is 
you know, something that was learned over a lot of years. You know, I had the benefit being fourth generation. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of, I didn't have to experiment on a lot of things because right. it was already known. The parameters were already known. Well, you are, which we can get to in later, which is another question, but you are experimenting with, say, Neo-Mexicanists, right, growing it up in the Northwest. There is some of that still going on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, what I would say is, is being, uh, you know, the experimentation can actually be more aggressive here because we already have the base knowledge. We're not having to go through, we're not having to yeah, go through, the early parts. yes, yeah. we're not having to go through yeah, a learning yeah. curve yeah. on all this other part. We already, you know, you have this base level of knowledge. And so, and so we can almost afford to take risks more. And, and that's why you see Yakima will tend to be the hub of, of new varieties and new experimentation, you know, and a lot of that some of that's embedded into just the natural climate here, but a lot of it's embedded into this, you know, this is, like I said, when, when you, when I don't have to worry about the thousand acres I already grow or 2000 or whatever, because I already know the routine and how we're going to do it there. How many bills per acre or yeah. whatever, you know, well, or timing, yeah, timing all that stuff, right? yeah, yeah. then, then that frees, that frees my mind up. It right. frees us up kind of structurally as a farm to have all these different test plots and all these other different things that we're doing because we know kind of the mothership is already, we, we have a very detailed game plan already in place that we, for the most part, know we'll, how it will play out. You know, what, what was interesting for me to find out is that uh, as, you know, in, for me in a perfect world, if I was, you know, if I was a farmer and organizing how I plant fields, you would organize it based upon the closest to you would be the first ones you pick, right? In mm -hmm. terms of window wise, mm -hmm. but it's not, it's super fragmented because over time varieties change, right? So yeah, and that's kind of an issue altogether logistically, right? Yeah, well, and ownership changes too. So so like in Moxie, there's in the Moxie sub district that I, I'm in now, I, there, I think there's seven of us growers left in this area yeah. and they're probably, in the 70s used to be 40 30 yeah, in so this little area huge consolidation yes yeah. but the consolidation didn't happen and so yeah. when when a neighbor would sell it was uh it was it was very competitive to get that oh okay, okay between yeah, the yeah. farms yeah 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 okay and and so interesting and so even though it was next to you maybe your other neighbor had a better relationship had worked a better deal out or had something else going on. Interesting. So Moxie, you know, as the industry consolidated, it ended up very fragmented. And so like if you visited our farm, the two fields, the very closest to our farm are actually owned by two different hop growers. One of them was my uncle, right. but you know, and so, so you end up with this kind of fragmented, but it kind of adds to the fabric of the, of the, of the, the whole industry. hop industry. Yeah. Did, uh, have you seen anyone that came here to, uh, you talk about pre-existing hop farmers, right? Mm -hmm. Family generational. Have you seen anyone new that's never been a hop, part of the hop industry start a farm in the lower Yakima Valley? There's been a couple. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Cause you would think if I was really that adamant about doing it, I would try to find land, but I, I would assume that it's really expensive. Like well, you were saying getting up and moving. Yeah. Well, I, we, I mean, I just, this is just my personal, I mean, I have a, I have a, my personal view is you're not a hop grower until you have a hop picking machine. Right. Okay. There's lots of people that put a hop yard up yeah. and then do a good job of talking their neighbor or into picking, into picking it. Yeah. That could be another generation of, 
uh, income, right? Yeah, but th but those generally don't stick. Okay. Though that generally doesn't stick. Okay. That shows up when we have booms, yeah. and then it goes away when we have corrections. Would you Idaho? Would you see this happening in Idaho? Um, so there is, you know, and so and so there is there is a handful of what I would say uh, uh, new farms that have their own harvesting facilities yeah. that have cropped up in Yakima in the last six or seven years. Okay. And, and Idaho too. I, I, yeah, I feel like Idaho has been, to me, has been the hotbed of where it seems easier or less, I guess, less cost of um, barrier to entry to, to do that right in Idaho. And it seems like it's getting more established as a- Yeah, Idaho, Idaho has, has um, probably, they have more readily available land than here, cheaper land. Yep. They have uh, less stringent, uh, minimum wage laws than we have here. So, so there's, there's economic reasons why probably Idaho, you know, if you statistically look at the stats, I mean, Idaho is growing their acreage very fast. And they just overtook Oregon according to USDA. Yeah. And USDA there, yes. And there's reasons, there's very good, there's also very good reasons why that would happen. And so Oregon takes two years to get a crop. Idaho can is like Yakima; they can get a crop the very first year. But also, Oregon is more um, prone to um, yes. right? some of some mildew. Of the mildew, yes. where yep. where it's yep. not it's not present necessarily yep. in Washington or Idaho. Yes, Oregon, yes, Oregon. much less much less present. And I assume property taxes are considerably less yeah. than Oregon. It seems like well, Oregon, what the hop industry, what what the Oregon's brewing industry tax. demanded the last five years is hops very fast. Yeah. Okay, so there's only two places in the world that can make hops really fast. That's Yakima and Idaho, Idaho. southern Idaho. And so it's not, it's not a coincidence that southern Idaho has, has gained in this because they have the same strengths uh, as, as Yakima Valley in that regard. Now, so Idaho, climate-wise, temp-wise, yeah. it's a desert, just like here. Okay. Uh, low rainfall, high heat units. Yeah. It has all those benefits. Its slight negative is that it's quite a bit lower. In elevation? Uh, no, oh. parallel-wise. Oh, oh, right. Okay, yeah. So, okay. They're, so their day length is shorter. Shorter, okay. So that is yeah. why they, they struggle sometimes to grow stuff like a centennial. Yep. Some of the some of the really day link sensitive plants they struggle a little bit down there because there's so much shorter day length in here. Well, that's a that's a really good point. Uh, maybe talk to the differences in growing regions because Centennial is a pretty pretty persnickety variety to grow. Yeah, Centennial is very day link sensitive, and so and even small variances can uh, affect it but a couple of the major variables that really help them along is they need to stay asleep longer through the winter the longer they stay asleep before they start growing the better so frozen hibernating yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i mean just if we took a layman's term we would say uh hibernating the long so so earlier so earlier higher temperatures have a more drastic effect on mm -hmm. centennial mm -hmm. than anything else right yeah, yeah so yeah so um areas that that warm up earlier that's negative for for centennials areas that have less day length that's negative for centennials yeah. areas that are hotter in the summer are can tend to be negative for centennial as well and so in the yakima valley the yakima valley is is really uh, comprised of, you know, three or four kind of sub-growing districts within it, you know, and... and what, which, which are? Well, I would start, if you started at the very south end of it, 
I would say Prosser, uh, Benton City kind of area. You know, you'd move up to say Mid Valley, which would be like Grandview, uh, Zilla, Granger. Uh, then you'd move into Reservation, like Toppenish. Then you would move into Moxie. And then at the far north range of it, you would uh, move into a, a place called the Weenass Valley. And that's really the, the Weenass Valley would really be the northern boundary of it. Prosser, Benton City would really be the southern boundary of it. Do you think these regions are going to be um, very important or marketability wise, such as uh, wine? For example, well, we've 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 thought about that a little bit. Um, like terroir, right? Yeah. How do you pronounce it? <laughs> yeah, terroir, terroir, yeah, terroir. Yeah. yeah. So we, so I have a theory that it is at some point as the as the industry matures, that will go that way. Hey, where what elevation you're growing? Maybe what's what? It's going to be a pain in the ass. I yeah, mean, yeah. But there yeah, there, yeah. there could be this boutique kind yeah. of like you know. Uh, yeah. Well, I would, thing I, would going I would break it down into two uh, two places. One. Is definitely there's there's terroir on the aroma side, and then there's this isn't really a terroir issue, but maybe there's areas within the growing district that grow ver certain varieties yield better. Okay, so if if, if Centennial for me can yield 2,100 pounds an acre in Moxie, and it yields 1,500 pounds an acre, let's say in Toppenish or Prosser or something, okay, at the end of the day, I'm going to be able to sell my Centennial at a profit at a much lower rate than the person that's growing it. Okay. So that's one, that's one, okay, okay, that's yeah. one place. Okay, that's yeah, one, yeah. that's one, you know? And so at the end of the day, you know, money's still important and mm -hmm. brewers need to be able to buy hops as cheaply and efficiently as they can. And then, and then also you, you have the, the aroma aspect of it. And so certainly certain areas impart certain aromas on hops, you know, as far as like Centennial is concerned, you know, Moxie is 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 the 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 aroma that's coming out of Moxie seems to be what brewers prefer. Coincidentally, the yields are tend to be very higher, uh, tend to be higher in Moxie than other growing districts as well. And so you kind of have a little bit of the best of the both worlds there. And this is strictly speaking, Centennial, right? So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Strictly no, no, is, yep. you know, not other varieties, but yeah, very yeah. Centennial seems it seems to be one of the more yeah, like you were saying, finicky varieties. Some years, yep. last year had the perfect yep. conditions, yep. All, all the kind of perfect storm to create a really yep. good. I'll, I'll, a real good Ooh. example is uh, of a of an alternate of an alternate uh, reality, not an alternate reality, uh, a very much true reality, just an alternate view of this is that is that uh, Toppenish tends to grow higher higher alpha. So any variety that you grow is going to tend to be better alpha in Toppenish, and so. And so in the, in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, when the industry was dominated by super alpha varieties, Toppenish tended to reign supreme because in Moxie, we could never quite get the there. alphas, right? And so, and so the different growing districts, it's not, you know, they each have their strengths, their weaknesses, and those manifest themselves different at different points in the market cycle. So it's not to say Moxie's better in Toppenish or Prosser or Prosser's better in Moxie. It's just each. It's just like anything in life. Everything has its own strengths, its own weaknesses. Different parts of the business cycle in the hop industry, depending on variety, plays to their their strengths. But that, but that's what I was saying about the wine culture. Right, Gilbert Sellers grows really good 
uh, you know, yeah. white wines, white grapes, you know, yeah. in Biowale City, where they buy a lot of their red grapes, you know, in the lower Yakima Valley, yeah. right? Because it gets hotter temperatures. And then that, and th- it would be parallel to hops, right? Yeah, yeah, abso- absolutely. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is that whole terroir deal, which yeah. I think it could go to. But it's, it's just starting. Bigger, it's just starting in yeah. hops, though. It's, it's just starting. It's just starting, but yeah, yeah. as it matures, there's more money bumped in. And I think it's the smaller guys that are more apt to do that. Yeah, if you're talking about Columbia Crest, yeah, it's a very price-driven business. If you're, if you're, Oscar Blues here in Nevada mm-hmm. or Anna Bush, whatever, right? You're trying to cut down costs as much and you have the luxury to do that. Not to say they're not trying to go after great hops either. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's what craft really kind of emphasized mm-hmm. is the, the quality component of it more so than even the, the macro guys have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, yeah and it is, um, it, it does seem like it's in the early stages because on some craft beer labels, I'm seeing even just something as simple as brewed with the Acoma Valley hops, you know, so they yeah. are starting to differentiate like, hey, this growing region is yeah. premium. I, and I have yet to see another area outside of, yeah, maybe Yakima Valley hops at this point, but yeah, that is maybe, Rainier maybe might have been the start of that, right? Yeah, I mean, I you know, we're, we, we grow hops, uh, our farm grows hops in what probably would be considered three different growing regions within the Yakima Valley. Yeah. We we have a lower valley presence. We have a mox a big moxie presence, and then we have a new presence in in a, in this new in the new district called Weenass. And so we're a little bit hesitant to uh, say one is better than the other because right. yeah. What we here's what we think. We think we think some are better for some varieties than other varieties. So what we really work hard on is making sure the right variety is in the right growing district. That's 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 what we that's what we work on hard. Yeah, that is in terms of diversification um, and then also having that in your hop portfolio that does make it I think very um, appealing to brewers to be like, "Hey, I would love to have my Centennial to Moxie." Right. Maybe my cascades out of Weenas, right? You know, so it it, it does open up the, right. the possibilities of all those ranges, which is, I think is a very cool. Yeah, yeah. And, We're, and we just, we've explored like yeah. trying to get an AVA, you know. That's what I'm saying. That's, yes. that's what I'm talking about. AVAs, that's what they're called. Yeah. Yes, AVAs. 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 And so God, we've explored that. a little bit of that, and but so, you, but we're we're still a little hesitant because because we don't. If we say this has got this area has got an AVA, then what does it mean about our yeah. other two areas, yeah, yes. right? But you were, but. But the, the, probably the longer way to think about it is get an AVA for all three areas. That's probably what I, you need I to do. I think you're the first person to describe any AVAs at all, what you did in the previous conversation, yeah. right? The southern, I'd say, I just put mid-south, mid-north, and then north area. The little difference I would say in the hop industry versus the grape, grape industry is that in addition to just the aroma, there are certain, like I said, there's certain varieties that grow better yeah. in certain areas okay yeah. so for cra- for for brewers you know that you always got to remember they can't brew hops if they are they sorry they can't brew beer if they don't have hops right okay so so uh supply chain um um strength and dependability is very important to them right. beyond not that aroma is not it's certainly way high but totally, totally but but and so someone like bells who's heavily reliant on Centennial. That, that's their number one hop, their biggest seller, and that's going on to all 50 states. Bells likes to buy hops out of Moxie because if they contract 50,000 pounds, they know they're gonna, gonna get, get 50,000 yeah. pounds. Okay, and so, and so the only thing I would say in hops 
it's a little little different is is that you know the fun bus kind of stops if they don't have the hops and so they got to have the or, hops. yeah or <laughs> the fun bus stops if there is a lot of hops and they don't know what to do with the excess of hops the I mean, fun both bus sides. The fun I mean, bus both stops. sides of it. Oh, yeah, totally. I have both sides, yeah. both spectrums of it. Right? Oh, yeah, no, the fun bus stops both ways. Yeah, both <laughs> ways. But, I, yeah, so, I mean, by that logic, it does seem interesting that it doesn't follow, with Centennial specifically, it doesn't follow, like, the quantity over quality. It seems to have both of those, right? Moxie seems to have both, quality and quantity. Yeah, and I don't mean to, you know, the other growing regions. Um, I know, and we're just really speaking yeah. Centennial. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. The and, other, well, no, I mean, the other growing that. regions, yeah. there's there's really good high-quality Centennials oh, yeah. that are oh, grown totally. in, other, totally. in, other, in other areas as well, so I don't want to. But but in general, I mean, and then, then everybody would acknowledge this. There's nothing. We're not saying anything. The, the anything that's right. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the average, per, this well, is well, not contrary. Most homebrewers under that, but yes, yes. Most brewery, all breweries that come to Yakima Valley. This is not controversial. It's not controversial. No, yeah, it's not controversial by any means. But it is interesting, and I kind of forgot uh, about the Weenas project. Uh, could you speak on that a little bit and how you guys are doing things differently uh, with that project? Yeah. So, so what we what we wanted to do, um, the 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 Weenas region of the Yakima Valley was uh, it it grew hops until the early seventies, early to mid seventies, and uh, oh, can you explain for the listeners where that is located? So in, it, in relativity. It, from... Yeah, it would be located in the farthest north reaches of the Yakima Valley. So the Yakima Valley is probably, it's probably. 50 mile, 40 miles wide by 100 miles long, kind of roughly. I mean, I'm just, you know, and so it, it's, it's a fairly big area. And so the, the Weenas Valley would be in the far northwestern region of the Yakima Valley. And it's, it's kind of a sleepy, mostly alfalfa. It's small, it's not real large. Um, and it, it grew hops. It grew hops up and it grew hops from the 30s till they're about the early 70s, from what we can mostly uh, look at. And and mostly the reasons um, it went out of hop production had to do with the, the the it was a technology issue, and so they didn't have drip irrigation back in the 50s and 60s and 70s. They just had flood, flood irrigation, yeah. Yeah. and the that valley itself just the way it lays didn't lend itself to very efficient flood irrigation so they were probably at a yield disadvantage from what i can see because it just didn't lend itself and so when the when the market would go through a contraction you know the marginal areas go out of production first you know the hop industry kind of went into a secular decline starting in basically 1970 to about 2008 or nine or so and so it was almost a 40 year secular decline. And so that kind of just rooted out there. So, but what we, with the new technology of drip irrigation, the soils are really nice out there. The water rights are great. There's lots of land availability at reasonable pricing. And it's, it's, it mimics very much Moxie. It's very, 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 very similar temperature wise to Moxie. And it's even slightly more north than Moxie. So it has a little bit longer day length, which is more conducive to Centennials. And so um, we looked at it as a, an extension of Moxie yep. is why we went there. Because Moxie is pretty much taken, I mean, you look at Moxie in general, and I know mo most listeners have never been there, but yeah, it is, most of the land is taken up yes. by of some sort of like, yeah, agricultural product. Well, yeah, it's agricultural. all hops. It's all hops. 
I mean, there's, so there's if you're albums, listen- albums yeah, yeah, but if your listeners, out, yeah. if your listeners came to Moxie, Moxie is the densest hop yards of anywhere in the world. Oh yeah, we we say, if anyone stops by here to go see hops, we send them out yep. to Moxie because you Straight can't up, miss it. You can't miss it, <laughs> and yeah, it's really it's adjacent to Yakima, yeah. and yeah, it's it's just nonstop. It's a it's yeah. a it's a beautiful sight to see. So the so the land availability in Moxie is very limited. Yep. The six or seven growers that are left in there, it's very competitive yep. for land. And there's just really no expansion up. Op- I mean, there's you know we're we're down to putting seven acres up in Grandma's backyard. I mean that's yeah. you know that yeah. that's that's yeah. kind of what we're down to there. So, you know, if you want to put a four or five hundred acre farm in, you're just not going to do that no. in Moxie anymore. No. And so and so you know we we looked at it and we said, well, you know, what do we want to replicate? We want to replicate Moxie. So we, you know, the closest thing to replicate Moxie is Weenass, and that's why we went there. Well, yeah, and that makes sense too, right? You know how to grow hops yeah. in the Weenass, or the Moxie area, so it makes sense to find another. Well, and, and, and so we think Moxie can be, uh, it's, it's, it always has been this way. It's just now that this, the industry is aroma-centered. Yeah. It's always been kind of a more oh, aroma-favored yeah. uh, region. Right. And so, you know, our farm is orientated towards aromas, that's where we're going to be, and so it made most sense for us to expand into an area that that was more aroma friendly, right? Maybe than some other areas, right? Right, and that's the the push from the I know that's actually the from the need aspect of the crop beer industry, right? Crop yeah, crop beer industry is pushing that, right? Yeah, which is an amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and so I think I think uh, I think at the front end of this craft beer boom, yep. we didn't know how much uh, length it was going to have. I would say. And so I would call that 2012. Yeah. Sitting here in 2018, what we believe is that the U.S. craft beer scene, although it's slowed, is very stable and right. it's not going away. And that the global craft scene is going to rise. And so that might take more time, but it is its bias is up. And so we feel very comfortable with our farm being very aroma-centered. Yeah. Not not well into the future. Yeah. Well, unless the contracts are there for Alpha, right? Yeah. Well, we'll we 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 are looking to you know we our farm was a hundred percent Alpha. Well, not our farm was eighty five percent Alpha. So that's amazing. Eighty five percent. Yeah. Yep. Two thousand one. Ten. Okay. Eleven. And then okay, so eight years later, it's reversed that. Mm-hmm. So you would say it's eighty five aroma. Is that that is yeah. amazing? That is phenomenal. So if there's an if there's an Alpha crisis it's going to be it's going to hit hard yeah yeah and i mean we we, we i mean we're we're uh, not just you i just everyone everyone's converted over to Roma. Yeah, yeah yeah the alpha the alpha buyers of the world uh will pay whatever usually will pay whatever they have to to get the hops yeah and you always have to remember you know uh coors light yeah bud light you know uh, light loggers use you know use a tenth of a pound of barrel per hops you know, our favorite craft beers using two or three. Yes, yeah, so, and some okay. of these New England IPAs are using of what four to six. I don't. I have no idea. Four to six. I have. Yeah. So I so so uh, large macro alpha buyers yeah. can afford and will pay anything they have to to, to get, get the hops because yeah. the hop cost is infinitesimal yeah. to the cost of the beer, and so and so the uh, you know. We would we, we, we tend we will pivot where we need to be, 
And so we perceive the alpha market as dying, you know, uh, seven, eight years ago and secular kind of decline. Right. And we saw the aroma market going up. So we pivoted our farm there. Now the difference we, where we stand today, like market wise, we see lots of room globally for the, al for the aroma market. Yep. Okay, so the alpha market is structurally a little bit short right now, but it's still a declining market. Okay, and so, and so competing in a declining market is the, very tough. Yep, big time. Okay, and so, and so we will stay in, the, our farm will, we don't, we'll, 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 if it makes sense financially, we'll go in the alpha space and we are going in the alpha space a little bit, but, but, but it is not a growth market the alpha space is a declining market and the well, aroma yeah. space is and, a growth market. And yeah, and and even to speak on that too, right? So even like AB or whoever, Constellation, they are they're absorbing these brands and these brands are still buying aroma rice. It doesn't just because they're buying no, it doesn't no, mean you're converting right. So there's still gonna be a need there yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. We don't, and we're we're agnostic on the whole thing. Yeah, no, a well yeah, bit. no, so so are we. And I and I think I think people need to realize that like, you know, beer is beer, you choose by your preference. Yeah, but yeah, and I think you know yep. cons consumer Macro, choice. It, 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 you cons yep. The hard realities of economics and, and yeah. And well, doing it's just it's just it's just it's it's, just, it's 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 not we we don't we don't make judgment calls at least on the growing side. It's just it's just pure raw kind of analysis of the market. Okay, it, so you have macro beer. I I'm not saying core. Uh, something is better than Coors Light or no. something was worse than Coors Light. Yeah. It's just that it's just that light loggers in the globe yeah. are, are trending down. If anything, by these companies absorbing craft uh, beer brands anyways, they're almost, they're essentially helping out farmers in the, in the grand scheme of things because they're buying aroma varieties, they're they're spending more money, right, or whatever, or, yeah, as a hogger, I mean, no matter what, it's still, whether they get bought it or not, it doesn't, I mean, the political aspect has zero relevance. Yeah, yeah, we're, we, yeah. we, 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 are the same we, way, yeah. we tend to stay a little apolitical yeah. because, because, um, you know, uh, 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 for us, yeah. uh, a hop demand of a variety However, whatever channel it comes through, true, yeah. we don't really say, well, we don't like that channel, so we're not going to sell to it, or we like that channel, or we're going to, you know, I mean, we just kind of make raw economic uh, analysis of it and then make a planting decision based, based on, on that. Based on, but based on that, and it yeah. only comes back to the, uh, the the end consumer, right? It only, yep. only comes back to, hey, uh, what beers are you buying that will go down if, the chain if, of what the farmers yeah, are exactly. contracted for it. If, so, the, if the world all of a sudden pivoted tomorrow, yeah. to wanting lightly hopped lagers yeah. like Coors Light, Bud Light, those yeah. kind of beers, yeah. and it, their volumes went like this straight up, yep. we, I, we I would probably pivot my oh. farm that way. I think I think a lot of farms, I think most farms would do that, right? Yeah, I think so. you go, you grow what you we get just contracts for. Now that, we just personally yeah. don't think that's the future. No. Yeah. We think what happened in the United States is going to happen globally, yep. and we think the trends of every year slightly uh, less uh, of of these of these kind of macro light lagered beers is going to continue. We think that's more the realistic trend, at least for the time being. So, so the since the existence of Black hops, and you know, since uh, I started with John. I've personally seen our international demand has gone from, you know, anywhere from 3% up to, you know, 10, 15% in the past three years. Mm -hmm. I think they are lagged behind the United States craft market mm -hmm. scene mm -hmm. 
three to five years. And I thought one of the um, cool, you know, one of the, the byproducts of that was the buyout of Lagunitas and the distribution mm-hmm. schematics of, of what's the brand? Heine, was it Heineken or Guinness? Who, who bought it? Do you remember? Um, Lagunitas was Heineken, right? Is it? Okay. So, yeah. so, okay. So you think of the repercussions of that. They buy this brand. Now they have the distribution channels globally. Now all of a sudden you get an IPA sucks Lagunitas beer in the hands of somebody who's never even experienced uh, a mm-hmm. craft beer or an IPA that yeah. way. That all of a sudden changes their perspective of like, hey, this, I do like IPAs. Yeah. That demand then translates into starting new craft breweries. So it's not necessarily always a bad thing for no. buyout. And especially no, no, in this I, scenario, I, I, I did agree not, I did yeah. not, like, I thought this was a great thing globally for craft beer as a whole. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So the, at the end of the day, the consumer wins. Okay. Yeah. And the, you know, the consumer wins. And so, and so, you know, it, it's, uh, this is just our viewpoint is that the, you know, the, um, you can't force bad beer or you can't force bad cheese or you can't force milk or, or, or whatever down, uh, consumers throats. They, they move independently. And, and the reason light loggers became so, uh, preferential, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 90s, is because that's what the consumer wanted. It wasn't because there was an evil cabal, I don't think, out there that just forced that onto consumers. It was just, you know, now consumers have pivoted and they want something different. And so, and so, and I do agree with Jeff that I do think that, um, you know, the consumers today are much more educated uh, technology and stuff like podcasts. We're sitting here and having a podcast that might that could go viral and the, the be, inter- be be heard by billions of people. You right. Know? The internet. <laughs> the internet is a phenomenal thing. Right. Yes. I think the internet, Wikipedia, like these these kind of informational sources, and then also that reflection in terms of um, you know speaking with people and, and yeah and driving that that demand and and homebrewing has always been and coming back to what we really do well is you know providing hops to homebrewers it comes back to that atmosphere of like hey i can make my own beer i'm going to share it with another person and those kind of um real person interactions on top of the sharing of information mm-hmm. has really um progressed the crop beer industry which has been a very beautiful thing yeah and so i don't i don't think i don't i personally um don't think it's possible for ABI or 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 some of the bigger uh, macros to squash, you know, I mean, they might be able to delay or they can put in delay tactics or you know they might be able to do some of that stuff and they do compete. They're they're going to compete very hard. Not going to say they're not, but but at the end of the day, consumer wants local craft beer in Brazil. They're going to get local craft beer in Brazil. They're just they're just they're just they just are. <laughs> Yeah, it's organics. It's anything like that, right? If mm-hmm. people are wanting organic products, right, they're going to push for that. It yeah. doesn't matter. Consumer choice is obviously going to drive everything and every level. I do want to. Do you want to talk anything about how differently you guys are uh, the process of killing the hops up at the Moxie area? How is it different from the normal killing process currently? What What are different attributes to the process that you're able to control? The variables you're able to control yeah. more a- accurately. Yeah. So what? So. Um, you know, from a quality perspective, we have some very uh, closely held beliefs that on on how uh, hops should be handled, and and um, you know, and this has been backed up pretty strongly by 
by uh, people who buy our hops that we're on the right track here. So, so um, what we believe is the most important part of the quality in the chain, in the supply chain of hops is that the kilning and the cooling and the baling uh, uh, at part of that um, equation. And so, uh, so some, of the, some of the things that we've focused, focused on and done a lot of research on is, is uh, kiln temperature, uh, airflow, and bed depth. Um, those, are, those are three big uh, components that we, we focus on. And, and so uh, the, the, uh, the, the information, you know, the, some of the, some of the, in the German and the Bavarian Agriculture Institute, they've, been, they've done a lot of research on this. And if you, if you d dive down into it and dig down into it, you can really kind of tease some pretty good information out. And, and so some of, the, some of the, a lot of people talk about killing uh, temperature. That's been pretty bandied about. And, and, and while killing temperature is important, uh, probably the, the bigger component is airflow through the kiln. And so really the airflow through the kiln is what determines the appropriate temperature to dry at. And so really the, the, the thing to focus on is, is air temp, or uh, sorry, the thing to focus on is, is air flow. And then secondary, the thing to focus on is, is air temp. Um, so the big thing you want to avoid in the kiln, the, 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 the process that gives the off flavors. And if, if we had 10, if we had 10 lots sitting here in front of us from 10 different growers, and if you picked out big variances between the growers, there's two things that are they're going to show up. One is is harvest window when you harvested that variety, uh, date wise. That's one. And then two is how you dried it. Those are going to be the two variables that are going to pull through the most on the sample table. And so, and so what we uh, what we focus on heavily is high airflow, low temp, low bed depth. And the bed depth is, you know, we lay the hops in a kiln and some people lay them at 36 inches, some people lay them at 38 inches, some people lay them at 32. We lay at 28, 26, 28, which is low. Um, and, then, and then we have 75 horsepower fans, which these are the highest horsepower fans. They produce a massive amount of volume of air. And so you've got good airflow through the bed. And then we also dry at a very low temperature. And so the reason why you do these things is it's just like if you go snow skiing, condensation. So all of us are familiar with condensation. Okay, so when you get condensation in the bed of hops is when it gives the off flavors. And condensation comes from two things, too high a temp, too poor of airflow. So there's kind of a physics 101 thing. And, and the higher the temp, the more moisture that air, air can carry. So 150 degree air can carry a lot more moisture than 125 degree air. So if you're drying at 150 degree air through your hotbed, the air's got a lot more moisture in it because Physics 101 tells you that it can carry a lot more air. Yeah, the latent heat of water in general. Right? Yes. Okay, so if you have, yeah. if you, so, so once air gets laden with water, yep. it becomes heavy. Yep. Okay. Yep. So if you don't have proper airflow through, it can't get it out and evacuate it. Yep. 
If you have poor airflow, it lifts it and then it collapses back down on the bed of hops. It's just like rain, right? Yeah, it's like, it's, yes. uh, yeah, if you have a windstorm, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, if it, at some point with a higher density and it, as, it, as it rises, it's going to, the density will be too, yep. um, yeah, right dense. So that, that's why what happens is when you're up skiing and you get on the ski lift, yep. you're all hot from getting down, there's no airflow, you're going up the lift, your, your, your glasses fog up because the air can't evacuate, there's no wind there's no wind speed to evacuate the moisture out because your body's so warm, it's carrying more air, it's carrying more moisture in the air. And so, and so what does that tell you? Here's the, the, the death knell is low airflow. The death knell is high temp because all those, those things, high temp contributes to more moisture in the air. Low airflow, airflow contributes to less ability to evacuate it out. So all these off flavors, you can take a hop yard that looks exactly the same. You can split it and go through our kiln and maybe through another kiln that isn't practicing these. And you're gonna get two different complete samples on the table. And so, and so we've, and, and this, is, this, is, this is something that we have, uh, we, uh, we, you know, we've probably got 10 years worth of data on now. And we know it, 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 it's to be true. And so, and anecdotally beyond that, you know, the, the people that we sell our hops to uh, back that up. Well, so, yeah, yeah, pick it, right? Yeah, they, they decide, yeah, yeah, they want those, right? Well, and then you can't, I mean, you can't go against, uh, I mean, the Germans have been doing this stuff forever. I mean, they, they, yeah. they really take this seriously, right? So, so that's what you're saying. So you, what, we did, at, yeah. what we did in the Wienass in our new farm is, is, we, is we actually went with a German uh, kiln out there. And the Germans, God bless them, have what they, they've developed a, a computer program and a certain drying technique where they analyze the, on a real-time basis with the computer, the airflow speed, yeah. meters per second through the bed, and air temp. And they know exactly, they know exactly the, the airspeed ratio to air temp that you, can, that, you need, that you can have to not get condensation. So the system adjusts itself on a real-time basis to always make sure it's got the right airflow, temperature combination to not get any condensation on the hops. And so the condensation is what gives all the off flavors. And that's, that, you know, and that, that, that took us a little bit to learn. And, and, uh, and. Well, I mean, wait, I mean, on top of that though, when you pick the hops, the ripeness of the hops too, mm -hmm. right? Have a huge influence on, of the yeah, flavor so what profile. We, That's well, the other one. When, what we feel is, is when you dry them very gently and with low condensation and, and do it the correct way, what we have found is brewers prefer mid to later harvest window. Mm -hmm. So when you go out to the later harvest window, but you have bad drying techniques, you get a hop sample that's onion garlic, yep nobody likes okay and so we uh i'll give you good examples we sell a lot of centennials to bells and bells has blind uh selected three years in a row the same date uh we give them four samples all four different dates blind sampled three years in a row the same date okay now bells bells and i'll give you that date it's september 7th and Bell's does not think of themselves as a September 7th centennial buyer. Yeah. They think they're more like a August 30th buyer. Right. 
and they are continuously amazed by us that they select centennials that late in the harvest window but the way we dry them and handle them gently is what is what allows us to harvest late in that window because when you harvest late in the window it gives them that pop and that that snap and which number is might be looking for it depending on what the period well what we might, found is yeah. if you do if you harvest later in the window but dry them right right most brewers prefer that even yeah. ones that didn't think they, they preferred did. that yes yeah. yeah we find that all the time so uh for everyone out there too um now when they're when they're, a selection process is we're talking about you're laying down uh bale cut samples mm-hmm. on a table they're lay, you know they might be alphabetical a b c d they might be mm-hmm. one two three four there's no other data right. at that moment nope. they're, they're going Zero. through they're doing a sniff test you know, you know, there might be five, six guys with them from mm-hmm. the brewery mm-hmm. and, and writing notes down, and they'll all kind of come to an agreement like, hey, we like this hop, mm-hmm. and they go with those. And so when we say a blind test, I mean, it is really kind of a still hands-on thing for them, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, these bigger oh, yeah. breweries, which is, which is a very cool process to see. Yep. And, um, and it's interesting that you mentioned that, that it's, it's been consistent for belts. Yeah, yeah. When we, so what we, uh, when we sell direct to uh, a brewery, what we do is we really try to get in simpatico with them. And so, and so what we do is we'll actually send them uh, every third day of harvest. Let's say we have a 15-day centennial harvest window or a 15-day Chinook window or whatever. We'll send them samples every other day through the whole harvest of that. Yeah. And then blind. And then uh, we, now we can't offer that to everyone. A, to everyone, yes. We, you might not want other competitors knowing about this shit anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know well, what I mean? Like, <laughs> let me know what you want to know. Because sometimes you want to keep no, those. No, 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 okay. no. I don't know. Right, I want them to know. All right, cool. Well, I mean, that is one of the benefits of that is one of the benefits of working CLS Farms, right? You're taking this much time to think yeah. about it and, and to be that diverse, like, diverse in the areas in which you're growing hops at. Is it, you know, people don't understand this and to this level and you, unless yeah. you're you're a big time you know you're a bigger brewery like bills or oscar yeah. blues which is very cool and they come out here in september time but for the normal home brewer it is nice for them to hear like hey cls farm has gone through you know all the he's, they thought about it from from oh, yeah. step one oh, from yeah. step one all the way until it gets to your guys's kettle it is uh, yeah and those you know, are the yeah. same hops you're the same hops you're getting, you're getting the yep, same right. hops you're getting from these these brewers or you're getting through yakla hops or other channels as well but is it yeah it's very cool to see yeah